Welcome to The Fair Sense. With me, Tanya. And me, Kara. Women, money, and the fight to break even. Because we give a shit, and so should you. Today we have a bonus episode where... Shock! Yes! We disagree on things. Hey, Tanya. What up, my friend? How's it going? It's going. It is absolutely going. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because like, as you said that, I was like, is it ever not going? (laughs) (laughs) What is time? (laughs) We we can't stop the clock, sadly, can we? Unless it's saved by the bell and you're Zach Morris and you have all that like white male privilege. (laughs) I had such a crush on him. Still do, probably. The frosted tips. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Iconic. Truly iconic. (laughs) So funny. Today we're doing a bonus episode around probably the most common question that we get here on The Fairer Sense. I'm sure you've heard both of us say about a hundred times if you've listened to more than one episode, something along the lines of, I agree, or totally, or (laughs) some such things. What do you like to say, Kara? I feel like I'm always like, oh my gosh, I totally agree. And what's hilarious is like, you guys don't even hear how many of them we say because I edit so many of them out. I think I agree or some variation of that is the thing I chop more than anything because I feel like eh, probably 10 of those per episode is plenty. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) But the truth is we actually disagree on quite a lot of stuff. And so we're doing a bonus episode today to get into some of that. It's really wonderful to do a podcast with someone who big picture, we agree on a lot of things, but actually when you kind of drill down, there are approaches that we disagree with. And there are some some generational things just simply because of our ages and where we are in our careers and our relationships with others and ourselves that cause us to have different points of view. To that point, let's let's dive in a little bit on this. I'm 38. I am in the Xennial category, but if you're going for strict generational breaks, I fall on the Gen X side of things. And I think in addition to that, like I, I'm actually not a huge believer that the generations are so different. There are plenty of like precious snowflakes who got certificates of attendance in the Gen X generation and plenty of snowflakes among the baby boomers too. So like all of those negative associations with generations I think are kind of bullshit. But that said, I'm just straight up older. I've been around a bit longer at this point. I certainly had a long career in a conventional job. And Kara, that's that's different from your life experience. So I think that there are things that are different. And then just like on a purely financial level, my husband Mark and I are financially independent. We retired last year. We don't really need to earn money from work anymore, which is an enormous privilege and something I feel lucky for every day. But it certainly impacts the way that I see the world and the way that I think about how to spend my time that I know isn't something that you have the same benefit of. Yeah. So I just turned 30 a few months ago and am solidly millennial in everything. <laughs> in, <laughs> I wear it as a badge of honor, honestly. I think there are so many things about where we are. You know, you're married, I'm not. You are fin- financially independent, I'm not. And even when you were at your job, you were a very high earner, I'm not. <laughs> and all of those conspire to give us different worldviews. And I think, you know, this podcast is a really good example. I still need to earn money ideally from pretty much everything I do. (laughs) Um, And so when we started this podcast, 
the topic of sponsorship was really important to me because podcasts take a lot of time. We spend a lot of time planning each episode before we even get into the recording. And then the recording, setting up interviews with other people, finding time for us to record together, and then the editing, and then the promotion it's a lot. And I knew going into this, just I couldn't afford to do it. I literally couldn't afford to do it if we didn't have money in some way. It's funny because for me, I just thought it was a fun project. When we first talked about doing this, I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great way to use my time because I love you. I love talking about this stuff. I've always loved radio and audio and it just seemed like the perfect thing. And so it wasn't for me a financial decision. And I know it wasn't fundamentally one for you either. But like you said, you had to think about like, how do I make this worth my time. And for me, it was more just, oh yeah, cool. A sponsor might like help cover some of our expenses. Cause it turns out if you don't know this, the built in out of pocket expenses in podcasting are much, much higher than they are for something like blogging, which you can do very cheaply. But podcasting definitely has a minimum cost associated with it, which is not nothing. So I was sort of thinking of it as like, cool, we'll cover our costs and then it won't be an expensive hobby. <laughs> right. And I was like, how can I pay my electric bill? <laughs> <laughs> so. That's, I think, a great example of like where we are in different places and how we come at this stuff. But the thing that I've been really excited to share with folks and to talk about on this episode is how I think some of that that age differential and experience differential manifests in how we kind of see the world. Like I think some of the arguments that we've had offline and off mic that have been the most, let's, let's just say passionate, <laughs> have had to do with how we see the ways that change can happen. And I spent a long career in politics and social change. I spent a lot of clients' money trying to advance causes and trying to change public opinion around stuff. And for me, like doing all that, I definitely, I'll, I'll just straight up admit it, like I got pretty jaded on, on a lot of stuff. I saw things like the Black Lives Matter movement. I think it's so important, but I also think that movement hasn't necessarily changed a whole lot yet. And I think that part of that is because it sort of is outside the system rather than trying to play within the system and trying to make incremental change. And this is me being like a jaded old Gen Xer and saying like, so my personal belief is that you do the best by working within the system and trying to make baby steps change, which I'm sure sounds super frustrating to people who are like, ah, fuck that burn the system down, which I think is probably more where you are. So <laughs> I think the best thing that I can say to exemplify just how burn the system down I am is when I was 18, I got a tattoo on my ankle that says, be the change you wish to see in the world. And to me, that is my rallying cry. I think I feel really strongly that I need to put, I need to walk the walk and I need to talk the talk. So I'm not going to tell someone you shouldn't shop at Walmart because they have questionable hiring practices and then go shop at Walmart. I that's a I haven't shopped at Walmart in years and like I don't eat red meat and I haven't eaten red meat in over a decade because I think the industrial farming uh, world and business is really fucked up and it's an environmental concern for me. So I just don't do that. I think one of the best ways to fight the system is to operate outside the system and to find alternative routes and to support alternative, whether it's political candidates or to say, I'm not going to shop at Walmart, I'm going to shop at the local farmer's market and just completely bypass things like industrial farming industries versus going in and being like, how can we make Walmart better? <laughs> I'm not this I feel like this got really Walmart centric. There are other examples. <laughs> it's a funny example too because I'm equally anti Walmart and I'm like, yeah, don't <laughs> don't shop there. That family has like enough billions like 
But then I've also it's funny because I've also heard people say an argument that I do think is sort of compelling, which is that Walmart is the only company that's willing to hire people who have like visible disfiguring disabilities or who look you know, to for lack of a better word, like look ugly, like Walmart is the only company that will give those people a chance. And so there is a tiny part of me that's like, okay, well, that's kind of good. But everything else they're doing is terrible. So <laughs> let's not give them our money. Yeah, I think the Walton family, the family that owns Walmart, at one point, they were six out of the 10 richest people in the United States. So they're real good. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in good shape. We don't, we yeah. don't need to worry about that. But I do think that some of our more passionate discussions, I mean, I remember one time we were talking and I said, which I acknowledged in the moment as ironic, I was like, I think I live a more politicized life than you, even though you were literally working in politics and are incredibly knowledgeable about politics. I feel like every time we talk about policy or candidates or just government in general, I get schooled by you. (laughs) What I meant was, is I feel like I'm kind of like a walking, talking billboard for my beliefs and I wear them very surface level and I'm very willing to throw down about them, basically. I mean, most argumentative 06, you know? (laughs) And you are much better at being diplomatic about stuff, about listening to other sides, about wanting to know, okay, well, this is the existing structure. How can we make that a space where we can achieve X, Y, and Z things? And I'm like, I'm building a new structure. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's hilarious to me because on some level, like, It's not like I started out being diplomatic, and I am for sure, as everyone who knows me in personal life um, (laughs) knows, I am not always diplomatic. I am famous for putting my foot in my mouth sometimes or shooting from the hip and saying something accidentally offensive. But I started out totally similar, being like, the system is broken. We need a new system. I'm going to argue with you about everything. And I think it was really through my work that I was really forced to become more diplomatic. And I also think through that work, I learned that the really outside the system efforts were rarely successful where you could push for things incrementally or, you know, like a good example is if you talk to someone who's anti-vax and you try to explain to them the science of vaccines and why they're safe and why they're necessary for herd immunity and the stuff that people who are pro-vax understand. If you try to talk to them that way, they actually dig in more on their anti-vax beliefs. And it's the same on climate science. If you talk to climate change deniers and you try to talk to them about the science, they'll just dig in more. And this is something that plays out on a lot of issues. So I think it's more kind of accepting that reality and accepting like, okay, what are the ways that we can talk about things within the system that feel acceptable to people that maybe show them like personal stories so that they don't right away put up that defensive wall and dig in. And it's not like I'm happy that that's the way it has to be. I would love to burn the system down on so many things, but it's sort of just, you know, being beaten down enough times or getting jaded enough times to feel like, okay, this is the approach I'm going to take because I think this is the only way that at least I personally can make progress. You know, I think it's interesting your use of the phrase make progress, because I do agree with you and I like resent it (laughs) that, you know, yelling at somebody or telling someone you're wrong and dumb feels amazing, but is not going to further the conversation and it's not going to create change. And this is something that T-Bone and I talk about a lot because I mean, he's much more similar to you in this. And we have very different backgrounds in many ways. He is from a small Texas town. He grew up with two religious conservative 
like card carrying Republican parents who are wonderful people and who, with whom I disagree with about a lot of things. Um, and he's, he went through a personal transformation and is very liberal and like he's a shy introvert and he avoids conflict. So when something happens where, you know, someone will say something problematic at family dinner and I'm like, well, <laughs> Timon will be very quick to, okay, here's why she thinks this. Here's why he thinks this. Here's the real issue. How can we come at this while everyone feels heard? And I'm like, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, I will say it's been, really good having you as a friend and having him as a partner because I do slow my role much more than I used to. I think that's also kind of aging. I am not as fiery as I was at 16 because I don't have the energy that I had when I was at 16. God, amen to that. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. But I do fundamentally believe, like, I think when Trump got elected, I felt and I feel very strongly, if you voted for Trump, I mean, that's a line in the sand for me. It really, really is. I'm not going to exactly cut you out of my life, but I regard you with suspicion <laughs> if you were close to me and you voted for Trump because I felt like he put all his cards on the table and they were shitty cards. And you saw those and said, that's okay. Yeah. Whereas like for me, it, certainly if you voted for Trump, I'm mad at you. But the line for me is more, do you still support him now that he's shown that that wasn't an act, that he wasn't kidding, that he actually hates immigrants, that he actually hates all brown people and women too and poor people and like everyone. And my line is like, OK, I'll forgive you if you voted for him as long as now you admit that was a mistake. But if you still support him, then that's my line. I think this this image of lines is really interesting because to me, I think also, too, as someone who identifies as a liberal politically, I feel often that liberals make concessions that conservatives don't. I feel like conservatives are always making us come to them and it works. The United States is a really conservative country when it comes to our laws. And that is because conservatives have been better at standing their ground. And so I feel like there needs to be a new breed of liberals who are standing their ground. And that's what I want to be. I'm like, here is where I am. I shall go no further. <laughs> and that to me is a way of creating change. And I don't think it is for you. It's funny. I don't even know how I would respond to that. I mean, like, I don't love the old guard of progressives either. But I think that sometimes people who come in who are like young and brash are also not really capable of operating within that system, which I think like you have to be realistic. If you're going to go to the Senate and try to make change in the Senate, you have to know how the Senate works. And you have to know how all the like clubs work and how, you know, the backroom deals and all that stuff. I know I will piss off a lot of people in saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like Bernie Sanders, for example, who certainly got a lot of support in the last presidential cycle in the primaries and I think was a big part of why Hillary lost. I'm just going to go out there and say that. But like he had decades in the Senate and never distinguished himself. And so the idea that he was somehow going to like now know how to play the game or now make change just was so ludicrous to me. Again, I know I'm pissing a lot of people off. Like I have no disagreement actually with almost all of his policies. It was sort of how he went about it, how he kind of did nothing in the Senate for all these years and then expected to be a leader. Like that to me just almost in a way felt very much like the stereotype of millennials. <laughs> of that level of entitlement without having proven anything. I just yeah. went way out there. I know you're probably I like, know. whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. I think it's good. And I'm remembering back. I, I was so invigorated by Bernie and I voted for him in the primary and I voted for Hillary in the general, obviously. But it's making me think my mom's mom is now fairly conservative. She's 89, um, but she's been a registered Democrat for her entire life. 
But in the last decade of her life, she's gotten really, she hates Hillary, for example. And for no reason, she just, she just hates her. She feels really strongly. She's a type of woman she doesn't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, grandma, this is outrageous. But what I think is actually like a hidden gem is that people like us who overarchingly agree and we want to move forward in society, but we're taking different routes to get there. I actually think that's a good thing. While I secretly would love if everybody agreed with me and just did what I said, that would just be efficient. Um, (laughs) I think we live in a country of 300 million people. We live in a world of over 7 billion people. It is incredibly unrealistic to think that all of them are going to agree with me on everything. And so for us to be saying the same thing, but taking different routes to get there, we're going to pick up more people along the way. And so ultimately, I think it's a good thing that people like you and I disagree on manners because or our ways to do things, manners to do things, because hopefully we'll find our respective people and then the whole wave will be working towards the greater goal. I couldn't agree more. I think we need all these approaches and all these methods. It's not like I would tell Black Lives Matter to stop doing what they're doing because it's hugely important. Same as I don't know what ultimately the Occupy movement accomplished, but I think we need stuff like that. We need the people who are outside the system trying to rock the boat and whether or not that directly results in change happening, I do think it all helps to push us little by little in the right direction. So as per usual, we ended up talking about some heavy things, but there are lighter things that we also disagree on, one of which is the British monarchy. (laughs) And particularly the royal wedding that recently happened with uh, Meghan and Harry. Oh, yeah. I know them. I can refer to them without their titles. (laughs) I fully got up at two in the morning Pacific time and put on my fanciest robe and put a little fascinator on my head that I ordered from Amazon. I busted out the scones that were gluten-free that Mark had made me the day before and jam. And oh my God, I made like such a thing about it and make fun of me all you want, but I've never watched like a Real Housewives or Kardashians. So this is like my reality TV people. (laughs) (laughs) And I slept through it. And I did the same thing when Kate and Kate, Kate and uh, I almost forgot. Kate, I know her name. That was not a Kate Middleton. Um, got married a few years ago, and through all the births of all their children, I just the royals are ridiculous. That's how I feel. Um, and I actually don't think you disagree, but you enjoy the ridiculousness. Whereas I think it's ridiculous that they exist still. And also am not particularly interested. It's funny to me, you know, like I think you could make a very solid argument. Let's say you're a British taxpayer. I think you could argue that they should not be funded by the taxpayers. And I think that would be totally legit. Like they are ultimately a tourist attraction for the UK. And so it's not unreasonable to say that tourist attractions should have to be self-supporting. And they've got all these palaces they charge admission to. They license all this stuff they sell. Like they could just support themselves. And like that to me would be reasonable. So I, I, this is not an argument about who pays for the royals. Like that's that's a whole different thing. And as a non-UK person, I don't feel like I get a say in that matter. But I think in terms of them existing, like to me, I don't, I don't know why anyone would have an issue with that. Like 
I think it's part of probably being in a relatively young country. You know, the, the funny thing is we always talk about America as a young country. As far as constitutional democracies go, we're one of the very oldest. So shout out to old America. But like it cracks me up living on the West Coast that if you find something from the early 1800s out here, that is like super, super old, where in the UK, something like a house built in the early 1800s is like one of the new houses in the neighborhood. And they just have a much longer history. And to me, the fact that the royal family, like we could get into all the patriarchal crap there and the fact that it's been male primogeniture until they just changed this rule. So Princess Charlotte didn't lose her spot to baby Louis when he was born, which is the first time that's ever happened. Although it doesn't matter because she's not going to be queen anyway, unless something happens to Prince George, which of course we don't want. Um, but you know, like that stuff is ridiculous, but just like the connection to history is to me the fascinating part. And the fact that they can put on like pomp and pageantry better than anybody. So to me, it's like, I want to see the old carriages. I want to see all the horses bust out. I want to see like all the like Knights of the Garter and the folks who you just like never get to see on television. I just love all of it. And like St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle, where they got married is, I don't know, 900 years old. There's nothing in America that old. Like, of course, we had people here then. We had Native Americans and um, Central America had, you know, all of the the indigenous folks. So it's not that they didn't have that. But at least in the U.S. part, we don't have even like those old pyramids or we have some some rock ruins is about what we have in the desert southwest. And we don't have certainly like towering cathedrals and like amazing monuments to the past. So that's that's the stuff about it that I like. Yeah, I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I consider myself a bit of a history nerd and there are so many places in the world I want to go because I want to see the standing history, the buildings and the rituals that have been handed down through generations. I absolutely respect that. But I just can't get over. So I was reading that Prince William and Kate Middleton's wedding cost nearly $8.7 million. And the taxpayers did have to pay for some of that. And Harry and Meghan's was cheaper because it wasn't in London proper. So I think it was it was closer to like $5 million. <laughs> Someone said there's this group called Republic, which is a London-based group that campaigns against the British monarchy. Sounds like I would be a member. And they had this quote that said, a royal wedding is a private personal event dressed up as a national occasion. And that lets the royals use the wedding as a PR exercise, and they expect the taxpayer will pay a large part of the costs, which I just can't get past. I'm like, it's 2018, y'all. I mean, I mean, there you guys have your parliament, you have your PM. The the monarchy is a tourist attraction, and it's also just it's antiquated. And I'm like, get out of here. Just dissolve the monarchy. Go be rich regular people. I also think fundamentally the, this idea of royalty, it really bothers me. And I understand from a historical perspective why people would do that, but I disagree with it. And even here in the United States, I definitely think we have royalty. We just don't have it in the same manner, but we have our celebrities and we have our Kennedys and we have these families that we accept as the elite in the United States. They don't happen to have castles, but they still have hundreds of millions of dollars, (laughs) which is what really matters. And so I just, it really, all monarchies aggravate the socialist in me. (laughs) And I just, especially as an American, I can't even bring myself to care about it. I'm like, we beat (laughs) y'all. That's my libertarian being like, we beat (laughs) y'all. So let me offer one more counterpoint to it because 
one of the trends that I hate more than anything in the U.S. right now is the princess industrial complex that if you go to a toy store or you go to like Target or anywhere, you're going to have the girls toy aisle that is all pink and it's all princessy. And then the boys toy aisle has like normal colors, <laughs> but it's also going to be really focused on like war and combat type toys. Like I think that this is a really troubling divide that reinforces really negative shit about genders that wasn't even true when I was a kid. Like you know, you'd have the Barbie section, but even Barbie wasn't like as pink as it is now. But I think that the Disney princess, you know, we've had a few instances where some of the movies like the the female lead is a little bit more empowered than in the past, but they still often need rescuing or need like help from dudes. And that to me is so problematic that I, I actually appreciate Kate Middleton is less of a good example of this than I had hoped. You know, she's sort of really stayed with kind of the silent model. But you look at someone like Princess Diana, who touched people with AIDS, who walked through the minefields, did this stuff that was like the opposite of what the stereotype of a Disney princess is. And someone like Meghan Markle, who first of all is American, half black, like all the stuff that we love was divorced, is older than Harry, all these things that break that mold. She also was, you know, an activist and a humanitarian long before she ever met him. And we still don't know exactly what her kind of charitable charge will be. But I think that she is going to show a kind of different model of what it means to be a princess, which if all that does is it helps to like chip away at the Disney princess industrial complex, I think that's a huge positive. So that's my one little like social pitch for the value of it. I remain skeptical that they will have any. (laughs) I do. I remember there was an article a few months ago that was like, Meghan Markle gives black women hope. And it was like, that you too can be chosen by some fabulous prince. And it's just... Oh yeah, that's that's bullshit. I would love to see the... Yeah, I would love to see the um, princess industrial complex demolished. I sincerely doubt that a new princess is going to do that. I, I, I get your point that she is a lot of things that is breaking the old mold of what a princess is. And I love that. But ultimately, she's being absorbed by a system far more powerful than she is. And I see that diluting her power. Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt she had to give up her career. Like, I don't think this is a good deal for her. But I think it's a good thing for the rest of the world for the monarchy to have to at least, you know, change a little bit for her. All the same, like, would we try to like break down the Kardashians or the Real Housewives this way? I don't think so. Just let me have my monarchy junk food. (laughs) Just let me have it. You know what? There's a show called The Client List that stars Jennifer Love Hewitt as a like down on her luck single mom who has to become a massage therapist who gives happy endings to pay the bills. And I've seen every episode twice. (laughs) Oh, we've talked about. Yeah, we've talked about this before. I've seen lots of trashy (laughs) drama I don't watch reality TV show. I love the dramas, but that is probably the the best example of the worst TV that I've watched. <laughs> if that's the worst you've watched, you're oh you're still goodness. in pretty good shape. We talked about double standards around beauty for women, and one of the things that we kind of Carrie, you and I disagreed about was not about the standards themselves, which we all agree are unfair to women. It's crazy that you can get paid less, but have to spend so much more just as a barrier to entry to even get in the door to be considered for a job on things like makeup and hair and all the stuff that we have to do. But we in particular disagreed about this Zadie Smith piece that I think is worth worth explaining. Do you want to just give folks a quick rundown on what that was? Yeah. So a while back, Zadie Smith, who is a British author and is stunning. Um, (laughs) She 
shared at an event that her, she has a son and a daughter, and she shared that her daughter is starting to play around with makeup. And so I'm going to quote what she said. She said, she wants her daughter to not wear makeup and she thinks it's stupid. And she said to quote, I explained it to her in these terms. You are wasting time. Your brother is not going to waste any time doing this. Every day of his life, he will put a shirt on, he's out the door, and he doesn't give a shit if you waste an hour and a half doing your makeup. And she specifically came after contouring as an unnecessary way to spend your time and to spend your money. And she has been really outspoken about how she doesn't really wear makeup. And I found it rude (laughs) and short-sighted. And not because I think that women should wear makeup and that beauty standards are totally fine and two thumbs up, but because, I mean, please Google Zadie Smith if you've never seen a photo of her because she is stunning. She's really, really beautiful. And for her to not wear makeup is not a big deal because she's still going to wow when she walks into a room. And she's also an incredibly accomplished and well-respected writer who is wealthy. I mean, she's just like checking the boxes off. And for someone who, as we talked about in the last episode, who might have acne or has bags under their eyes, they need to wear makeup to get to Zadie's natural level. And I think it's really judgmental for someone to say, you shouldn't be wearing makeup. I don't spend my time doing that, nor should you. I should use a British accent because she's British. (laughs) Nor should you. (laughs) And I just think it's, again, not that I think makeup is necessary, but for some women it actually is. So yeah, I actually do think makeup is necessary. And I think it's really crappy to give an absolute and to say any woman who is putting on makeup is wasting her time. And it's so funny because like my reaction to that was like, and and I'm not going to try to defend the rudeness or whatever. I took that to mean something very different, which is like guys are able to use that time instead of spending it on hair and makeup. They get to use, use that time like bettering themselves, doing work, you know, doing things that feel worthwhile to them, like actually getting ahead in life. And so I read that as like a, yeah, like maybe actually spending all this time on hair and makeup is holding us as women back. And that's part of why this is me connecting a lot of dots, but like maybe that's part of the wage gap. Maybe that's like, you know, part of all this stuff. And I do definitely fall on the side of thinking like women should not have to wear makeup to be considered professional, to be taken seriously. But I also recognize like part of that is my own privilege of like after the three courses of Accutane, like having skin that I don't have to cover up anymore, not needing to wear a lot of makeup to look not, I mean, like super attractive, but like to be fine in the world. And so I understand both sides of it. Like I would never want to shame anyone for wearing their makeup. But like I do think kind of thinking about where we want to get, like I think if we got to a place where fewer women felt like they had to spend all that time on makeup, like that would be a good thing for feminine humankind. Yeah. So I agree and disagree (laughs) Um, because I think what really bothers me about it is that it blames women. It says, Mm -hmm. you're being shallow and stupid by spending your time doing this. And I am not, and I am better than you. Like that is the the context of it. And instead of saying, hey, it's pretty fucked up that my daughter feels like she needs to wear makeup. And an unfortunate side effect of this is that she's going to spend a lot of time presenting herself in a way that men don't have to. She just was like, women get it together, which happens so often. We see that all the time victim blaming. And we see that all the time with, I think this is part of the reason women have a stereotype of being catty. We, unfortunately, when you are an oppressed group, it is easy to curry favor with the oppressor by shitting on your co-oppressed people. (laughs) It's like, 
Zadie probably scored a lot of points with dudes who are like, I like my women natural by saying that. And I fundamentally tried to exist from a place of, hey, we're all in this together. And I don't want to get to the mountaintop if you're not coming with me. So and not that I'm always perfect at that. God knows I'm a flawed human being. And I am going to make mistakes, but I, I'm hyper cognizant of that. I don't want to tear down another woman to make a point about feminism, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's totally fair. I think it feels like there's a lot in this that we we do agree on, but it's just sort of like, how do you go about making this point? And how do you go from where we are now to where we want to be without shaming anybody in the process or implying that things that they're doing are frivolous, that they feel like they're doing because they have to, or they just frankly like want to. So I don't know. As usual, I don't have any good answers to this. It's just an interesting thing to talk about. Yeah, we're definitely not. <laughs> we are not the be all end all of anything, but certainly beauty standards across races and continents. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I do, but I do think it's always worth having the conversation because to go back to what we we're talking about earlier, you know, if you do just kind of cut people out because you disagree with them, nothing happens. And so, Zadie, I'll never be a writer like you're a writer. You're doing great in so many ways, but I think this was a faux pas. <laughs> is something near and dear to my heart. <laughs> like so many things, it is near and dear to my heart. White feminism, which if you are not familiar, white feminism is a phrase that is used to describe a type of feminism that advances white women only. And it's also been used as a way to describe someone who is seeing something through a narrow point of view or is biased. That is frequently how I use it. I like to use the phrase white feminism TM because <laughs> you can be a woman who is white and a feminist and not be a white feminist. And examples of white feminists, most famously Lena Dunham. Um, I would also argue that Amy Schumer is a white feminist and I find them embarrassing and problematic. <laughs> I want to be really clear here because this is things we're disagreeing about. I'm not like pro-white feminism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really said, I apologize. I said that up to some of like, and Tanya is the queen of the white feminists. <laughs> um, please know. I, I also think there's something classist in it in, for the most part that, that usually the people who you would accuse of being white feminists are advocating for things that women who already have some level of privilege are dealing with. And I think where I come at this is is not to say like, okay, great, like let's only advocate for certain people at all. Like I definitely believe in the principles of intersectional feminism. Where I come at this is like there has recently been a trend of people like tearing down folks like Lena Dunham or others who have exhibited things that that look like white feminism. And I'm, I'm not defending what they've said or done at all. Like we talked when we were talking about the Me Too movement and sexual harassment uh, last season about Rose McGowan and how challenging it was that, you know, she was like voicing her truth about stuff that had happened with Harvey Weinstein, but then she was also kind of tearing down other women. And like, that's the kind of thing that I am not here for. I think like we should be all working to uplift each other. But along those lines, I think my problem is in targeting the white feminists and in tearing down people who display those views, 
to me, that feels like it's working against our greater cause here, which is for women all to be working together and tearing other people down or disagreeing with kind of the nuance of some of what they're saying to me is like infighting, which is exactly what the freaking patriarchy wants us to be doing. It wants us to be distracted by small infighting things instead of keeping our eyes on the prize. So to me, that's like where I come at it from. It's like not to say like, oh, I agree with their views or whatever. Like I think we should be fighting for all women and for all marginalized and oppressed people and for trans women and non-binary people and all of it. But I think it's ultimately just a distraction and a waste of our effort to be putting all that energy into tearing people down instead of just saying like, okay, let's just keep marching forward. And maybe Lena's not going to be like the voice we're going to hold up as the perfect example, but let's not tear down other women. Let's remember we're all in this together. We're all ultimately imperfect and we're all working toward the same goal. I disagree. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> it's like when someone says they're colorblind and they mean that from a good place of saying, well, I'm not seeing your race and holding it against you. But if you're not seeing my race, you're not acknowledging the, in some cases, centuries of oppression and pain and circumstances that all add up to where we are now. And so you're just ignoring the hoops I've had to jump through as someone who does have a different color skin than you. And to me, especially, I liked your point about the class because it does, I do think white feminist TM tend to be upper middle class too wealthy. And it's like something that I think of to go back to Lena Dunham, you know, a while ago, I think about a year, probably a woman brought a claim of sexual harassment against a man who had been a writer on Lena Dunham's show Girls. And in no way was Lena Dunham involved in this accusation. This woman was like, hey, this guy sexually harassed me. And then Lena Dunham jumped in and said that this woman was lying to further complicate situations this woman is a woman of color and does not have the platform that Lena Dunham has, does not have the money that Lena Dunham has. And Lena Dunham, who has said many a time she is a feminist, was like, mm, you're lying. I believe this man because I know him. And then she had to come out and apologize. And it turns out that this guy had sexually harassed this woman. And I'm just like, Lena, no one asked you, first of all, why do you think your opinion matters at all? Just because you happen to know this person. And second of all, you are using your platform to silence a, another woman and be a woman of color and uphold a straight white man. And that to me is the crux of the issue. I do feel like you, it's interesting. You see it as infighting and the patriarchy. It's, this is what the patriarchy wants us to do is to get our eyes off the prize. Mm -hmm. But I think the prize has been determined by white women and we need to look around at ourselves, get our own house in order and make sure we're including everybody. Because also too, historically in the United States, feminism has been a fairly exclusive movement. It really, for a very long time, focused on upper middle class white women because they were the ones who could go out and march in the streets while they left their kids at home with their nannies of color. And we've missed voices in the history. And now I'm like, yo, Lena Dunham's and other <laughs> white feminist TMs, I do want to call you into account. I don't, as a rule, like blanket support all women. And I don't think that's a rule of feminism. And I think it's totally fine to say this woman's problematic or this woman's wrong. And I don't think I'm doing a disservice to feminism and the fight to get equal by doing that. Again, I wouldn't defend any of that. I think that this argument of like, I believe that this guy wouldn't do that because I've had positive experiences with him or like he's been respectful to me is one of the most insidious 
arguments out there and is a way that we as women are perpetuating a bad system in many cases. So not defending any of that. I think it's just the question of sort of like how much energy we dedicate to that. And there have been times on Twitter where I felt like, okay, like I see a lot of people like being mad at Lena and like, not that that's not justified. I'm not trying to silence them in their anger. But to me, it's just sort of like, okay, let's call that out and like move on and like get eyes back on the prize. So I think it's sort of like with the question of burn the system down or fight within the system. Like to me, it's just sort of like we don't disagree on the ends here, like the end goal. We just are have a little disagreement on the means of how we get there. Yeah. And I, I don't mean to imply that <laughs> you are upholding these problematic systems by any means. And uh, yeah, I think your point, actually, I will say that I do sometimes think women are blamed for men's actions. And I think this same example is... A, a part of that. I mean, Lena stepped into it. She involved herself in a situation that she didn't need to, but she thus took upon herself a lot of the shitstorm that should have been directed at this dude, whose name, by the way, is Murray Miller. And I think I think that's a really unfortunate part of the patriarchy that does hurt women more. Where I mean, women are held to different standards, and we can get used against each other. You know, we can be portrayed in the media as like being involved in a catfight or something, and the real culprit can scoot on by. Yes. And I think that's really fucked up. Yeah. And I think like that ties right into kind of my view on it. It's like on some level, I think you could look at Lena and go like, oh my gosh, like by only focusing on the concerns of upper class white women or by taking this guy's side, like you are also Lena, like a victim of the patriarchy. And we need to like help free you from that, especially because you're someone with a platform, someone who people listen to, someone who has the power to write shows that people watch. Um, and I'm not even going to get into girls, which I think is like problematic on a whole different level. But, you know, we could choose to see it that way and say like, hey, sister, like how can we help bring you along to the, the light? You know, right now you're like mired in the darkness instead of going like you suck, Lena, like you're the worst kind of feminist, like you're not welcome in the movement. That to me is the, the take on it that I, I don't personally want to be a part of. Yeah. See, and I'm a little bit like, yo, you got nothing but time and money and privilege and power. And if you can't be bothered to educate yourself on this, I'm not going to waste my time. I can pay my electric bill. Okay. <laughs> like, you should be able, I feel like, especially someone on her level should be able to find resources for themselves. Like Google is free. And especially with Lena. God, this has just been like a Lena Dunham dragging session, but she has, there's literally a Twitter account called Lena Dunham Apologizes that's just a generator because Lena Dunham has been caught in so many shitstorms where she's done something pretty fucked up and then has to apologize for it. And this, she's not learning. She's not learning. She is like stuck in her biased, I think, stupid views <laughs> and has shown absolutely, I want to say, you know, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to say she's shown 2% progress <laughs> on trying to get past them, but she's really doubled down on a lot of her stuff. And I'm like, it is not the job of the oppressed to make room for the oppressor as we're like trying to fight our other oppressor. You know, <laughs> like I, as a woman, don't necessarily think I need to make space for white feminists TM in the fight against the patriarchy. And I think you do. You're like, well, all of our power together will help bring down the patriarchy. And I'm like, mm, I'm shouldering more of the burden <laughs> so that I don't have to use you. <laughs> it's funny. I actually disagree about that. It's less about like our power together. And it's I don't know how much like she's going to help move us forward if she came into the movement. It's sort of it's it's like the argument about like we're the pro-life supposed feminists welcome at the Women's March. Hmm on the mall. And, you know, we're 
I fall on the side where I'm like, eh, if you're not pro-choice, you're not a feminist. I know that people will disagree with me on that. And and I'm not saying that to alienate anybody. I just think the idea of not believing that women should have autonomy over their bodies, it's sort of like, I don't know how you then reconcile the rest of feminism with that. But beyond that, it's it's less about like, oh, we're more powerful together. It's more just that I see the drain of the, the infight, you know, of like the mental energy it takes to argue with Lena Dunham or to talk about her, the fact that we've now talked about her for 10 minutes, like (laughs) this is distracting us from like tearing down the patriarchy. And so for me, it's more that it's like, let's avoid the distractions. Let's avoid these little like tangents that the patriarchy wants us to get hung up on the little drama stuff and like focus on the end goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can leave like a bloody wake behind us of all the people (laughs) who who did not live up to the ideals of the movement. Like, that's fine. I just like never want to lose sight of where we're going. Can I just also, I mean, I feel like I have mentioned T-Bone so often, but we talk about this all the time because I'm always like, oh, I want to be president. And he's like, do you mean dictator? And I'm like, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that something wrong? And he, then he's all like, this is why you shouldn't be in power. And I'm like, whatever, T-Bone. <laughs> so I'm sorry, just funny that you said bloody wake because I'm like, would do. 100% would do. <laughs> so we agree on that part. Yeah. And we're back to, I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> Right. So those are just a few of the things we disagree on. We've got some more that will reveal themselves throughout this season. Every time we say, I agree on the show, know that there's probably something else over there that that we disagree at least a little bit on. We are our own woman. And we are not just parroting back and forth. I agree. I agree. I agree. (laughs) But it is cool. I'm glad we did this because it's nice to expand on some stuff. And I know that this not a lot of this was financially related, but like most things in the world, everything ties together, like all things in the world. Everything ties together. And um, if you have specific questions about our views on stuff, please shoot us an email. We will take pains to try and address them in future episodes. Or if you heard something here today that you just want to share your thoughts on, how do you feel about Lena Dunham? How do you feel about beauty standards and Zadie Smith? Like, let us know. You can how do you feel about us. the royals? <laughs> How do you feel about the Royals? The most important question. Oh, man. Um, you can always email us. We are fairersense at gmail.com and tweet at us at fairersense. You can always find us, of course, on our website, thefairersense.com. And you can leave comments on the individual episodes with the show notes, or you can get info about how you can rock some fairer sense swag. Shoot us your opinions on this stuff. We really like hearing it. We, we love hearing from different viewpoints. And we also really love hearing the nuance of it. So you don't have to be for or against something. You can have a very particular view. We love hearing that. And as always, if you send us a note, just let us know if you're okay with us using your name if we read it back on air. Yeah, I do want to say one woman sent us an email that was mostly gifts, and it was awesome. So if you want to do that, I'm totally down. (laughs) Whereas I, as a Gen X person, I'm like, what the hell is a gif? (laughs) Or as Mark would say, Mark would say, no, no, I disagree. It's a gif. Yeah, the hard (laughs) thing. Get out of here. Mark, you're dead to me. (laughs) Yeah, gifs are dead to me anyway. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, until next time, stay rad and stay you. Yeah, (laughs) definitely something we can both agree on for sure. Stay rad.
Accents are me, Tanya Hester, and the world's best co-host, Kara Perez. Our theme song is by The Insider. Our ad music is by Kevin McLeod. And you can find out more info about the other artists you hear on the show at our website, thefairersense.com. You can always find me at ournextlife.com and Kara at bravelygo.co. Today we have a bonus episode where gasp, <laughs> shock, <laughs> me about things. <laughs> 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 fail. <laughs> oh my but I liked, I really liked it. <laughs> the execution, we didn't stick the landing, but I liked where our heads were at. Welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Um,